Welcome to the Birmingham Super Prix Podcast Series 2. This episode is sponsored by Silverstone Auctions. Hello and welcome along again. I'm Jake Sanson and we're delving into the archives of the Birmingham Super Prix with the racers and personalities who were there. Today's guest is Channel 4's voice of Formula 1, who has also been involved with IndyCar, British Touring Cars and GT Racing, but who started his journey in motorsport in Formula Ford and so nearly got to race at the Super Prix itself. The one and only Ben Edwards. Well, Ben, a massive thank you for coming on the show and uh, recalling the memories you have of the Birmingham Super Prix. Uh, I, I imagine it's been quite an interesting one for you to look back on because when the race was first touted, you were a racing driver in those days, not a commentator. That's right, yes. Um, in 1986, the first year of the Super Prix, uh, that was the second year I was doing some racing. So I didn't do a full season. Um, I'd started racing in 85 and I did about five or six races in uh, pre-74 Formula Ford and then about the same number again in 86. So I hadn't done a full season by that stage. Um, but it was pretty exciting to, to hear about and see, you know, what was happening and, and this thing coming up. And then the following year, uh, I raced in Formula First and actually went um as a spectator in 87 after i'd raced at alton park the day before um me and a mate um and my brother went to went to birmingham and, and watched and watched the day the sun the, the monday yeah because we raced on on the sunday i think and then uh yeah it was good i really enjoyed it it was fabulous and then yeah after that well there's more to the story but we'll come to that in a minute absolutely i mean so essentially you were a, a national level Formula single seater racer, and you had basically done your drive for the day before, and thought, "Well, I'm a motor racing enthusiast. I'm going to go and figure out what this race is all about." Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was a you know a fan. I've always been a fan of motorsport, anyway. And a friend of mine, uh, he, I think he may have been to the first one, and he he was really sort of saying, "Oh, you know, should come along. It's good fun, and we'll we'll go down to uh, Halfords and get get a stand seat down there and." Um, <laughs> And so that's what we did. And it was, you know, we were lucky that that year it was a, it was a good year. It wasn't, it wasn't like the fully wet one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a, it was a good event. So, uh, you very nearly became involved in the Super Prix as a driver. In fact, technically speaking, you were because you saw that first race and then you thought, well, I want to go and race in that. And obviously, as your racing career developed, you actually ended up at the Birmingham Super Prix. Go, t- tell us about what that must have been like, the build-up to driving your first ever street race. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as if I sort of thought, oh, I must go and do the Super Prix. I, I, I looked at it and thought it would be fun one day. But mm. at the time, you're just focused on where am I going to race next? What am I going to do next? You know, And mm. then you're incorporated into whatever that, that calendar is for that championship. Um, so um, I won the Formula First title in 1987. And then um, to move up from there, um, I was I was fortunate enough to, there was um, a, a local guy to me who'd been kind of following what I was doing with my racing and was a bit interested. And, and I put a sponsorship proposal to the to his company and they decided to get involved. And, and it was partly because I uh, was pushing to go into Formula Vauxhall Lotus, which was a, quite a big step up from Formula First. Uh, slicks and wings and um, yeah it was it was a good really good series uh, but it was the first year of it 1988 so we didn't know exactly what it was going to be um, but once uh, we got it all up and running and and they went for it so that got me the opportunity to to come into it and 
Birmingham Super Prix was part of the calendar. So that was pretty exciting. But it didn't all work out because, um, yeah, I was, I was looking back actually over my notes. I usually keep notes of the races I did, and it has to be about the shortest note ever, I think, <laughs> on, a, on a race. Uh, and all it says is, uh, we only did a 25-minute qualifying, no race, the reason being because the Formula 3000 race got stopped several times. Um, I got hit by Gordon Wilson on the second lap of practice, driving, this and then talk about me, driving too sedately, early on the brakes, almost everywhere. That's what I, that's what I put about myself. Um, so, yeah, that was my experience of, of the Super Prix, was basically doing one practice session, getting contact from someone else and uh, summarising that I was basically being far too careful everywhere. But, you know, being a street race and not wanting to damage the car and just trying to get my head around it, I, th- I can sort of look back now and understand that. <laughs> it's fascinating hearing you talk a- a- as a racing driver, because I've always known you, uh, as many people have, of course, as a commentator, but I've known several racing drivers, particularly of that period, actually, before the days of, you know, computer analogue data and all of this sort of thing. Uh, a lot of people keeping notebooks and sort of, you know, journals about the sort of the laps and the, the various different positions on the circuit they would break at and driving lines and everything. I guess that was how a racing driver would prepare for each weekend. That's the kind of notes that you would have to make. That's right. You, you basically, because there was, there was no data in those days, you didn't have reams of data to go through. Uh, it was just before just before data started becoming a thing, really. And so it was more a question of, you know, walking the circuit when you got there, um, which I remember doing, and just trying to learn as much as you could and making notes as you went to try and to try and gain what you what knowledge you could as you went along. So, yeah, I, I tended to keep keep notes. Preparation was more difficult in a way because I didn't know anybody else uh, who had raced there. I mean, ideally, you want to be with a team perhaps that have already run a car there in the past, but that wasn't the case um, with the guys I was with. So we were starting completely from scratch. We we knew nothing about it. Um, But, yeah, it's just trying to store that knowledge as best you can. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, I've got to ask as well, you know, you've said, obviously, that you only had 25 minutes worth of driving around the circuit. At the time, and I'm fairly sure it's fair to say subsequently as well, that was your only street race circuit that you ever got to drive. What was that like? Yes. How big an impression did it leave on you? Yeah, it was great. and it was, But it's frustrating. It's one of the things that's frustrated me in my racing career, if you like, is that I never ended up racing on a street track. So, mm. I, you know, I should have done that weekend, but our race got cancelled. Um, and it is a frustration because I've commentated at so many over the mm. years but I've never actually raced on one. So that's still something to tick off on the list one day. Um, I would like to do that you know, very much now as a sort of fun thing rather than as a serious career-defining thing, which it was it, what it was would have been more back in the day. Um, and, and driving a street circuit is, there's no doubt, it's a very different thing. You know, you, with, you've got the barriers right alongside you all the time. Um, you've got the you know, fairly bumpy nature of the surface as well. And you've got to build into it and get into the rhythm. It's always really interesting when I'm commentating with David Coulthard on the F1 because he he was a bit of a, a bit of a Monaco specialist. You know, he was really good, uh, and he obviously loved it. And and that build up of the sort of sense of speed, but but also that sense of control and and how you get into a rhythm. He talks about that really well. Um, and I think some drivers just just tune into that really well on street circuits and others don't. I don't feel I ever got the chance to find out one way or the other, really, because I didn't do enough. This is a very good point. Um, so looking back on it, uh, how much of the circuit itself can you recall? How much of the atmosphere do, do you still sort of remember and resonate with? 
Oh, the atmosphere, I do remember. And um, it was, it was a, especially having been a spectator there as well, it was nice doing you know, a bit of both um, because the atmosphere down at that roundabout when we were sitting in the grandstands was just fabulous. I, and, you know, waiting for the cars to come down on the first lap, um, it was always really exciting, whatever, whatever you were watching, particularly the 3000s, but also mm. all the support races. Um, and I really enjoyed watching that. And then being a part of it the following year was, yeah, it was, it was a big thing. I felt, I felt, um, a little intimidated by it almost because, you know, you're surrounded by all these buildings. There are people everywhere watching from all sorts of nooks and crannies. And it, it was a, you know, it was a big event. It, it felt something serious. And, and so in a way it was a little intimidating and I knew that, you know, any damage and you're going to be out of the, out of the event really early on. So, you know, it was a big deal. And I, I remember aspects of the circuit. Um, it, it, it it was fairly straightforward in some ways. I mean, there were tricky bits, tricky tight bits, you know, narrow corners, widening parts, good straights to open it up a bit. It was a good blend, I think. It was a nice mixture um, and a good challenge. But it, yeah, it, it, I just don't feel like I got enough time on it in the end to really, really get to grips with it fully. So you were quite fortunate in the sense that you were a spectator able to drink it all in as someone who was involved in the sport as a participant. So all of the races that you watched, you kind of had a, a frame of reference to a certain degree to figure out just how these guys were working behind the wheel, how exciting the opportunity of the event was in terms of growth for the sport as a whole. I mean, when you're stood there, uh, you know, on the Halfords hairpin watching the British touring cars go by, the Thunder Sports, the Formula 3000, all sort of forms of motor racing that you went on to commentate on over the years in various different guises, that must have been quite an incredible experience at the time. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I, you know, I was used to watching races. I, I was also used to sort of mechanicking, uh, on Formula Fords for other people, uh, which is how I got started in the first place. So, um, but I hadn't actually helped run a car there. M most of the mechanic I, I did for Formula Fords was at Brands Hatch for the champion of the brands. So I had various different sort of I inputs, you know, whether it was watching from the sidelines or watching a support race from the pits, if I was doing a bit of mechanicing or, or then starting to get into the racing myself, mm. as I was that year. Um, I, I remember, it's funny, actually, I did look back at the, the footage of the Formula Ford race from that year, um, which Derek Higgins won. And of course, he was a contemporary of mine, but doing something else. And Alan McNish, actually, you know, he was... He was winning that Dunlop Star of Tomorrow quite, uh, the 1600 series quite well that year and went on to win it. And we ended up racing against each other in Vauxhall Lotus that following year. So, so McNish and Hakkinen, for example, were both at Birmingham with me in 88 to race. Um, but none of us got to race, but they, they were teammates, um, in Formula Vauxhall Lotus. So, you know, it was interesting to me that year watching. Um, to see, okay, who are these guys, you know, because they're kind of going to be my rivals. So Higgins, I ended up doing a Formula 3 test with him a couple of years later. McNish, as I say, raced against him in, in Vauxhall Lotus. Um, uh, Justin Bell, who spun out of the Formula Ford race from the lead. Again, we raced against each other in Formula Vauxhall Lotus and then some years later in Caterham's as well. So, yeah, it was um, it was an interesting time. And of course, being in that sort of field of drivers who made their names through those early formulas, such as Formula Vauxhall Lotus, and then obviously up through to Formula 3 and Formula 3000, you know, had you been on that starting grid, had you been able to race? I mean, the great thing about street racing, as you and I both well know, is that anything can and usually will happen in a street race. And it's always a bit of an unknown variable. That could have been the opportunity for your career as a racing driver really to blossom. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't have a good season in that 88 year in Vauxhall Lotus. It wasn't a strong year at all. Um, when I look back, you know, it was a bit of a, it was too big a jump really from Formula First to Vauxhall Lotus straight away. And I didn't have the background of karting, um, or different series really, you know, a little bit of Formula Ford, but not much. So yeah, uh, it was a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a big jump. So it didn't work out for me in, in that respect, but it was a big event in terms of credibility and, you know, to win, any of the races there, I think, was a was a big credit. There's no doubt about it. Um, I do remember actually from the Vauxhall Lotus race the following year when I was due to race. I also mm. did um, a bit of promo in the Bullring Shopping Centre, and we had the car, oh. we had the our car, the Blue Lamp Properties Vauxhall Lotus car, actually in the in the shopping centre, and I was with it for um, about half a day or so, so mm-hmm. people could wander along and talk about it. And um, that was quite fun. I must admit, that was quite quite enjoyable. And my sponsor. Uh, they wanted it to be there. They had a bit of connection. I'm not sure quite what the connection was, but with the bull ring. Um, so yeah, it was fun. That must have been quite fascinating because again, that's the sort of period in a racing driver's career where you're willing to do anything in terms of personal promotion to try and get yourself up the ladder. And here you are in the middle of a shopping center in the city of Birmingham with a racing car and just talking to Joe Public. That must have been absolutely in and yeah, of no, itself it was- quite an experience. It was slightly strange, yes, yeah, standing there in a racing suit and, um, <laughs> yeah, in the middle of a shopping centre and getting all sorts of kids running by and all sorts. It, it was quite, it was quite amusing. Um, but it's all, yeah, as you say, you know, when you're trying to raise sponsorship, uh, to go racing and that was the only way I could go racing, um, you're very happy to do stuff like that, you know, and in a way that's partly why I got into commentating because it was, it was a way of showing that I could talk about the sport and, um originally my hope was that you know that would draw help me draw a sponsor get more sponsorship so i could carry on with motorsport um so that yeah but then i found that commentating sort of took over a bit so you've been to so many different street venues over the years in various different forms of the sport i mean you've been to macau you've been to singapore you've actually been no, to no I haven't, oh did you I not get to go to macau I, I apologize i've never been to macau and i'd love to go and everyone who's been always you know raves about it i know you've been there um but i have never been there so yeah I vo- I'll tell you what, I voiced it like yourself on Eurosport, oh, right. many of the ones from London, but uh, I, I still, that's one I've yet to do. But yeah. I've, cer- I've certainly done a couple. I, I, the one I got to do, which I, I suppose is a fairly similar level to the Birmingham Super Prix, was Poe. And uh, that's a fascinating and fabulous uh, yeah. event. And you've done many you know, street venues in the past yourself, like Valencia and obviously Singapore, Monaco, all these incredible venues. How did Birmingham as a street race, having been there and having been involved in it, because it's such a different venue, it's not the premier city of Great Britain as far as the world is concerned. It's, you know, the number two city for us. And there was a massive impetus to try and bring Birmingham to the world stage as a city of a land and culture through the race. How big a difference was that race compared to some of the other street venues you've been to over the years? Well, it's an interesting point because, as you say, it's not, but Valencia in a way is similar in Spain. You know, Valencia is not their biggest city. So it was an important promotional idea to get the street race in as well. And of course, Formula One went to Adelaide originally in Australia as a street circuit and then went to Melbourne. And Melbourne is a bigger city. It's more of a sporting city too, in some mm. ways. I think in a way, similar to Birmingham Super Prix, the atmosphere at Adelaide, because it was, because it was pretty unique to have an event like that, uh, a motor racing event in Adelaide, which was a big deal, 
gave it a huge atmosphere, which in Melbourne, although Melbourne's great and I love I love going to the event, um, it's slightly different because Melbourne's used to having top tennis tournaments, top mm. um, Australian rules football, you know, all sorts of things in it in the city because that's what it is used to. Adelaide developed its own atmosphere. And I think Birmingham Super Prix was like that. It, it was unique in a way in that it, the racing and Birmingham came together and created this whole kind of unique atmosphere. It really did have something special and, and it was something to look forward to throughout the motor racing calendar, I think. It was just different, so different from everything else that was going on in, in the UK at the time. So you've obviously been in and out of the international motorsport community for various different reasons in Grand Prix, in IndyCar, in the States, and in, in various different guises within GT racing here and abroad. The international motorsport community, you do get to learn over a while that it's actually quite small, despite how massive the world is. You know, people talk about these things and stories resonate with people and, you know, different points bounce off each other and people hold fond memories very dearly. To this day, I mean, you're in the motor racing community in various different places. How does the Super Prix still get spoken about? Is it often or is it more one of those gentle phrases that comes back every now and then with fondness? I mean, is it still quite a talking point? I think it depends on, I think it's generational really, because you, because it was only there for a short period. Uh, it does apply, I think it's quite strong with the people who were racing in that period and it, who perhaps ended up there or or longed to race there, who were racing in the late 80s and into the early 90s. I think for, for that group of you know, racers, it is quite a big deal. But I do think because it wasn't there for so for very long, um, it's not quite across the board in motor racing. You know, it's not talked about across the board because there are a lot of people who who weren't there, who 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 didn't get involved in it because it wasn't on the scene for so long. So I think it's um, in a way that's what makes it special because that uh, you know it was such a a kind of peak uh, for national motorsports in the UK uh, for that period, but then it vanished again. So for those people who were experienced it, raced there, watched it, uh, it's a wow, oh yeah, the Birmingham Super Prix, mm. that was fabulous. <laughs> uh, but for people who who didn't, they go, what? What are you talking about? Street <laughs> race? I didn't think there was ever a street track in the UK. What are you talking about? Mm. Well, it, it, it's fascinating because, of course, now we're in a, an era of motor racing where street racing is very much niche and it's very much uh, in vogue at the moment, thanks to Formula E. It's kind of brought the culture of street racing back to the world of motorsport in mainstream culture. And we had the Battersea Park uh, Formula E race. I attended the second one in London and it started that sort of movement again a little bit. And obviously, I think that's the kind of event and that kind of movement that sort of raises questions about you know whether Birmingham could revive it would there be an interest in it potentially how much of a reality do you think there is considering the way that you know the government has evolved to license motor racing on public streets and everything do you think that there's a chance for the Super Prix to come back in any guys do you think it would get a public approval it's an interesting one I I, I would I would hope so I think it's it's complicated in this modern world though isn't it because mm. Um, you know, Formula E is, is, is an aspect because you don't get the noise, you don't get the, um, quite the same emissions that you do from normal racing. Um, so in some ways, perhaps that has a, a more of an appeal within, within cities. I, I think it does depend very much. It's harder sometimes now to get everybody to agree to something like that in a, in a big city like, like Birmingham. Um, I'd love to see it come back. I must admit, and I'd love to see, it resurrected but 
I think it would be a bit of a process to, to make it happen again, uh, to get enough agreement and to, to find the right path for it to happen. But I would love to see it, I must admit, yeah. Now, another interesting question that I, I, I've thought about considering, you know, how many events that you attend in, in so many different countries as well, which is the thing. Motor racing in Great Britain, and you'll know this, uh, in fact, having raced in it and having promoted in it and broadcasted in it in various ways, it's quite a unique country for motor racing because the the passion for it and the vibe for it is so partisan. There is a real beating heart of the sport in various different guises, whether it be touring car racing, rallying, stock car racing, uh, single-seaters on the club circuit. There are so many different avenues of motor racing. Perhaps one of the reasons that some of these street events, such as Singapore, such as Baku, they work so well because it is such a unique opportunity for people within that country to see motor racing. Do you think that there's a, a reason perhaps why there hasn't been quite so much in the way of opportunity for a race like Birmingham to flourish? Because it is such a motor racing country that it's hard to get everybody all on one side, perhaps where there's only just one event in a year of that country to be uh, getting behind. Maybe. I mean, yes, our motorsport is very diverse in this country and, and we're very lucky to have such a depth, as you say, of motorsport. But I do think that there would be support for a street race uh, mm. again, like Birmingham. I, I, within the racing community, I, I think there'd be huge support. I think because if you look at the strength of national motorsport, it's still very good. You could, there are so many national championships that you could get really good numbers of cars attending. If you've got British touring cars there like they used to be, you know, that would be a a big deal, it would be a huge thing, and people would really respond to that, I think. So within the motorsport community, I think there'd be a huge amount of interest, and and people would love to be on the support programme, uh, depending on what the main race was. You know, maybe touring cars would be the star. But I think it, it, it's more a question of incorporating it with people outside motor racing. I think that that's, you know, in this current world, that that, that would be the slightly more difficult bit, but not not impossible, and, that's, and especially if, if one found exactly the right, place and the right location to do it again um i think it's it's possible and as i say i do think i can see you know the marshals being keen to get back out there as well because mm. you know for, for marshals it's a great opportunity for them you know a things go a bit crazy so they're going to be busy and be their opportunity to to be in, a, in an environment which is really quite special and we all watch lots of street tracks on on tv but the chance to actually be involved in one here in the uk is sadly remote and when i when i was doing indycar when i first went over to do indycar in the late 90s they had quite a few street track races actually i mean it, their calendar at that time was pretty much one third uh, race circuits one third road track road mm. street tracks and one third ovals so you know the street tracks have certainly been around and as you say now with formula e that they are very much on the agenda well, it's interesting you talk about uh, touring cars there as well, because uh, although most people now know you for the work you do for Channel 4 and Formula 1, but for many years at the turn of the century, you actually ended up being in the British touring car paddock, and you were there for a good many years as the series was coming out of the world of super tourers and heading into NGTC. So that was a, a brilliant time for the nationalism of British touring cars, I suppose, to kind of take back a little bit more control from the international manufacturers. And I have a feeling that, you know, as it grew, it obviously took a good few years, but you were there as part of that watching it grow and into what it is now, which is a very unique uh, form of touring car racing to anywhere in the world, really. I think the only series that's even similar to it in terms of its passion within its own country is probably the supercars in Australia. And I wonder, you know, it, as it continues to grow, surely the Super Prix event, or even during your time, the Super Prix event would have been absolutely the kind of thing that would have differed it to anything else out there in the world of motor racing. 
Yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, I think British Touring Car would be the headline at something like that now. You know, it would mm. be a fantastic event. I think it could really work. As you say, it's got stronger and stronger again. And it's great to see that. And the number of cars, the level of competitiveness in the series is, is, is fabulous. And actually, as you say, supercars has been really good. But talking to a good friend of mine down under, he's worried about, you know, the future of supercars at the mm. moment because the change is going on. Whereas I think that the British Touring Cars, yeah, the, you know, the recent, what's been happening to all of us recently is tough for teams, but ultimately there's a really good blend in there and it, it's intensely competitive. Uh, and I think touring cars, British touring car highlighting the Super Prix at Birmingham would be, would be awesome. I think that would be an absolutely amazing event. So having had five years of fantastic race coverage and that it was brilliant for its time, considering that, you know, when the Birmingham Super Prix happened, there were only four channels in this country mm. and it got brilliant television coverage considering, you know, the limitations of uh, that uh, kind of medium at the time. So, I mean, looking at the work that's being done to sort of uh, dig up all of these incredible photos and all these amazing accounts and memories of the of the Grand Prix, just how important is it now that we're in 2020, 30 years on from the last checkered flag, that we preserve all of this uh, incredible content that's still there you know how important is it do you think that motor racing still has a real uh, eye opener into what ha- actually happened for those five years yeah i think it's important i do i think it's uh it's a very valuable part of our motorsport history and you know the number of drivers that that performed there and went on to deliver great things elsewhere um and just the atmosphere of the place absolutely and, and you know watching all the fans turning up there and getting into position to watch it, it, it was it was a really really special event and and I, you know, I'd love to see it come back. I'd love to see something like that back in the UK um, because I think we miss out on having a street race. You know, we really, most most other countries that are seriously into their motorsport do have a street race or two uh, throughout the course of the year, but we, we don't, you know, and I think that is, we're lacking that, you know, and I felt, as I say, you know, I never got to do a street race. And I always felt that as a British driver doing national motorsport, you miss out on that experience a little bit going into international motorsport. Whereas if you come from some of the other countries, you, you know, if, you, if you're French and you've raced a Poe, obviously you've got that experience. Um, if you haven't gone into international level already for a, for a Brit coming through the ranks, then it's a, it's a big learning curve. So, so it would be, I, you know, I, I think it would be magic, but it's important that we do remember, yeah, those, those years that did take place in Birmingham and they shouldn't ever be forgotten and held on to, definitely. Well, you were there as a competitor during the years when everything was very, very difficult to cram into uh, two days of motorsport. And again, let's let's you and I, you know, sort of go about and, and plan a sort of a meeting. I mean, we've talked about touring cars as being potentially top of the bill with Super Prix. You have covered so many different disciplines of motor racing, whether it's on a road course or on an over or on a street track. And therefore, you know, your wealth of knowledge of different forms of disciplines of motor racing is probably far superior to many other people within the industry. How would you like to see an event like that if we were to bring it back? I mean, we talked about the likelihood of touring cars, you know, certainly with the British Championship being the pinnacle. If it was to be a separate event to the Toka package, so you'd have to start again with putting a support race together. What would you, as an enthusiast of the sport, what do you think could work there? What would be a great race weekend for people going to another Super Prix in 2021? Well, I have to say it would be it would be two categories that I've raced in and one that I still do occasionally, mm. um, which is Formula Ford 1600 and uh, Caterham racing as well, because oh. uh, <laughs> both both are... 
both don't have um, aerodynamic uh, aids. So the great thing about both Formula 4 1600 and K-trims, and K-trims particularly with their, their blocking aerodynamics and you can get a great toe off each other. So the racing tends to be very close and, and very hard fought. Um, so that would be to see either or both of those racing at the Super Prix would be really something pretty special, I think. It could be highly entertaining. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, if you have the touring cars, you need something that I'd like to see. You need something that's got the real straight line pace as well. So I guess you'd probably want to go to some GT level because um, you want something that's got the real straight line speed, which, of course, the Formula 3000s had. Mm. Um, and we're not going to probably get GP, well, now F2, GP2 coming mm. to, to Birmingham. So you want, I think you want, you know, top class British GT there as well. I mean, you know, you'd have to share the platform, British Touring Cars and British GT, but why not? Why not have a big event where you have both and you've got the inane sort of bumping and boring of British Touring Cars knocking each other around and, and it would be crazy. Um, but then you've got the sheer straight line speed of the, of the GT cars, which I think would be a fantastic blend. I have to say, that's a brilliant meeting. And, and the thought, just the sheer thought of caterums in the slipstream on the run down to the Halfords here. Oh, my goodness, that sounds fantastic. Um, there was conversation that we had in a previous episode with Dave Lucas about uh, his conversations with Bernie Ecclestone as the race got to its end. And he, they were trying, the two of them, you know, with cooperation from other people, to see if there was a viability to get a race like the Birmingham Super Prix to be a Formula One race. Having been there, how viable do you think that could have been? Do you know, was there ever a chance? Having seen some of the events that Formula One has done over the years, you know, they've gone to Dallas, they've gone to Detroit, they've gone, they, they nearly went and had street racing on the streets of Beirut at one point uh, in the mid 2000s. There was discussion about it. How viable do you think Birmingham could have been as a venue for a European Grand Prix, say, within Formula One? I think viable, definitely. Um, and it's interesting going to Baku nowadays, you know, because that is uh, a street circuit and a half. It's huge, mm. but it is it is a it is a street circuit in a city, you know. And and they they've done a pretty clever job um, of using part of the old city and part of the more modern part of the city. So some avenues are really wide, and there's loads of space. And then when they climb up the hill behind the old historic part, you know, it's really narrow. And there's, there's, we've seen loads of accidents and incidents down there. When I first went there, I said, I thought, really, you know, Grand Prix here. <laughs> um, but actually it's provided some fantastic events, Baku. And it's got a, an incredibly long straight as well. And I think, uh, you know, it shows that a, a street circuit can be created. A new street circuit can be created and, and develop a, an atmosphere and a feeling of its own. The, the downside, obviously, of, of street tracks can be they can be full of a leader. And I, you know, uh, that, that can be a bit sad. Um, if you've got, I mean, Monaco is a fabulous venue and a mm. great event, but we all know that is very full of a leader. You know, it's yeah. so difficult to overtake in a modern Formula One car because they're big and there's just that there isn't much space, very easy to block. And you can argue that, well, what's the point if you can't overtake at all? And that's where Baku, I think, kind of works because there is room to overtake and there is opportunity to to get past. Um, And I I think that's important. I think Singapore as well, uh, not easy to overtake. You don't often see much overtaking in Singapore, but there's just enough to make it, okay, that's, that's good. You know, this can work. If you've got the right car at the right time, you can get past and make the most of it. So I think that's important. You've got to have a street circuit where there is enough space 
in which to overtake. And that's the difficult bit in a way. I think planning that and getting it uh, in Baku, they had plenty of room to play with. In Birmingham, might be a bit more difficult nowadays. Well, considering your argument is a very good one, you look at some of the races back in Formula 3000 in sort of 88, where you had the brilliant jewels at the front and Jean Lacy doing his fantastic job in 89. And, you know, all of the drivers on the grid in sort of the last three to four years of the Birmingham Super Prix, most of them at one point ended up either testing in Formula 1 or racing in it and winning Grand Prix. So it was clearly a good yeah. place to mould talent. So on that basis, perhaps it could have worked. Absolutely. And clearly you could overtake because Roberto Moreno finished second in that 87 race coming from the pit lane start. Indeed he did. So so that just goes to prove that it was possible to overtake around the Birmingham venue as it was, you know, if you had the quick car and he he was unlucky and whatever, but uh, getting going. But once he got going, it was fabulous. And I do, I vaguely remember the, you know, the the excitement of him storming through the field. Um, And that, that's what you need. You need a street circuit where you can overtake and Birmingham did provide that you know it also provided places where you couldn't get it wrong and block the road as we remember well Russell Russell spent yes yes Um, and all that chaos yeah well I I suppose the final question really that we should talk about is let's say for example there is a chance for it to come back and it does uh, get resurrected you know you and I are both motorsport commentators on the world stage and we both share that passion and that love of the sport where there's that one race event in the calendar that it's there's a personal touch to us and it's an event that it wouldn't feel like a proper motor racing year unless you got to do that one particular event in your calendar Birmingham you say because you were a driver during the first one and it kind of left you with a, a sense of unfinished business in a way if it were to come back you know how much temptation would there be to have that sort of boyhood desire to bang on the door and say, look, I'm available. I want to come and do this. It's on a bank holiday Monday. It's not going to clash with anything else. Come and let me do it. How, how much would you want to get involved in that? Yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be great fun to be involved. Um, and, and maybe if there was a Formula Ford race, I could come and do the race. So that'd oh, be that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll, we'll get all of the relevant people involved then. We'll try and get it sorted. And the second it comes back, we'll make sure F, uh, F4, uh, Formula Ford 1600's on the bill and you got there. That'd be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. No, that would be. No, it would be. I'd love to see it come back. I really would. And, and uh, yeah, fingers crossed one day it can. Ben Edwards, thank you so much for talking to us. It's great to get your perspective on it. And uh, we wish you all the best coming out of the other side of all of this. And who knows, when we return to the Birmingham Super Prix, we'll try and make sure your name is first in the queue to get in that commentary box. Thank you. Thanks, Jake. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to check out all other episodes of our podcast, as well as our social media channels for images and video content on Instagram at Birmingham underscore Super at Facebook.com forward slash the Birmingham Super and on Twitter at Super Film. For official project merchandise, visit Etsy.com forward slash UK forward slash shop forward slash Birmingham Super Once again, a special thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Silverstone Auctions, who are currently inviting entries for their live online auctions for the remainder of the year, with a recent live online auction seeing a phenomenal sales rate of 89%. To submit an entry, you can contact the team on 01926 691141 or visit their website at silverstoneauctions.com. (laughs) 